0: Hi, everyone. I'm Laura Paskus, senior producer for the show Our Land, New Mexico's environmental past, present, and future on New Mexico PBS. It is September 14th, and you're listening to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. So, last week, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham came into the studio to talk about some of the state's environmental issues. We talked about things like water planning, oil and gas development, hydrogen, and climate change. We also talked about plans by a private company to bring more nuclear waste to New Mexico. Right now, the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission is moving forward with full approval of Holtec's plants to store nuclear waste from power plants here. That's happening despite widespread opposition from the congressional delegation, state legislators, and the governor. As part of this conversation, Lujan Grisham talks about how the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, WIP, where waste from nuclear weapons work, is stored. Now, WIP was supposed to be a promise of sorts that the federal government wouldn't ask New Mexico to again take more nuclear waste. But now, the federal government has changed the rules, the governor says, and the state has little say in whether the waste ends up here, essentially forever. As part of the conversation you're about to hear, we also talk about the military's contamination of groundwater with PFAS, or per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. These are also sometimes called forever chemicals. And we look ahead to what the area around Clovis and Portalis could be like in the coming decades as that contamination spreads and as the Pentagon resists moving forward with cleanup. So here you go, here's that conversation. I have so many questions for you, but environmental issues just don't get the attention they tend to deserve. So even though I want to hear about COVID and reproductive rights and some social issues, we're sticking to the environment today.
1: Perfect. Given the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, I think it's on the mind of so many Americans and certainly so many New Mexicans and leadership in western states. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So um, this year's fires kind of jumping up to northern New Mexico after Hermit's Peak and Calf Canyon. The Forest Service is supposed to be releasing a review of their prescribed fire protocols and that might actually even come out. Um, this week before this airs, um, what do you know about their plans or their conversations about prescribed fire?
1: Well, what they, what they committed to, so we'll see if it's in this um, actual presentation to us about a plan, which is this notion that they don't adopt their prescribed burns, forest management or forest health reviews in this new extreme drought environment and provide no notice to states about taking fuel, particularly through prescribed burns, out of the forest uh, is problematic, as we saw, right? It was both fires, both caused uh, by negligence, frankly, gross negligence, of the federal government. So my expectation is, true to their word, that notice requirements are in, that collaboration requirements about what constitutes getting the fuel out, and that while I think there's a group of New Mexicans who have little tolerance Forever doing prescribed burns. I think the notion, given the vast acreage we're talking about in all of our national forests across the country, that that may be an unrealistic effort, particularly when you look at some of the terrain. But uh, in the spring and uh, windy seasons, and frankly, in the heat of the summer when the temperature is so high and there's no humidity, we're expecting it to be very weather centric, so winter. And we're expecting, uh, like I said, ex- you know, very specific notice. And then we want to be part of the science. You know, what would constitute the parameters? And then what states go and in what order and how? Uh, and I'm expecting that at the very least. But they have a lot of climate change work in order to catch up to the reality of today uh, across the globe and certainly in their work as a federal uh, entity m- responsible for Forest Health. Yeah,
0: and do you feel like the federal government has been responsive and
1: transparent when it comes to the fires, the recovery? Uh, You know, transparency's uh, tough uh, because uh, it is when folks get frustrated Uh, for government for any reason. Uh, I share that frustration, but government by its nature is sort of a large, can be an unwieldy sort of organization and nothing more unwieldy than maybe the Pentagon uh, in and of itself and then the federal government uh, as a whole. So they were clear, they took responsibility. The president said unequivocally to America and to New Mexicans, our fault. We will do everything uh, to fix it and uh, expect more from us that's happening but it is an institution that doesn't work well with being flexible and on the ground in a meaningful way if you're in a mexican and primarily if you're living in the areas affected so let's just focus on mora county but that's not the only county affected but they have been literally i think the technical word hammered by these floods it is a slow Arduous and by design, find a way for you not to be eligible for a program, not the reverse, and that has been incredibly frustrating and mind-numbing. I had a report today, and uh, they're clear that I'm not happy. I'm not happy about the lack of immediacy. So this is where the state. Uh, And you'll see us, we've been purchasing and uh, buying uh, livestock feed and, you know, getting food and we're looking at getting wood and temporary housing because if we wait for FEMA or their other programs, it'll be several years and that's untenable and I need the Senate to act on legislation that's in front of them because this allows us to sort of ignore to some degree these arduous processes and to jumpstart recovery in the state. So it's both. They've taken responsibility. They're they're on the ground still. I have three hundred people from FEMA alone on the ground here. But it should translate, in my view, to a lot more debris removal and a whole lot more help for New Mexicans. So they're gonna the state's gonna have to come in and deliver that for them and we will.
0: All right. So as governor, you have one role to play, and one set of responsibilities that's separate from the federal government, but the federal government does control a lot of land in the state and makes a lot of decisions for us. Um, I'm thinking in particular, not just about forest management, but Holtec, this mm-hmm. private company that wants to bring the nation's commercial nuclear waste here. Um, Is there a way for the state to be stopping this from happening?
1: I believe so. Um, I want to be really clear to your viewers. Uh, It's not an easy or straightforward path. I mean, the reality is, is that the federal policymakers and the federal government knew that no state, really, was going to stand up and volunteer to take the most dangerous waste from all of our nuclear energy and nuclear power plants. So, not just, but spent fuel rods, which I think most people are familiar, you don't want those in your backyard. And when we were doing the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, and we were doing that in the 80s, actually I used to work there in the 80s, right out of college. I did it in Albuquerque because we were still drilling. But the whole purpose and promise was that New Mexicans would never be subjected to having no role or choice in the kinds of nuclear waste that would be disposed of at WIP. Well, fast forward to 2022, And what we have is a new federal structure that says states really don't get to decide. An independent commission gets to decide, and of course they are leaning towards deciding that New Mexico will be the recipient and that the company that they will work with to do that transport and management is a company called Holtec. So you should expect us to do the things that other states have done. Pass legislation that says never, have the attorney general, already is, filing lawsuits. We do have control over permits uh, and uh, like efforts. So we are uh, poised to fight it and to really ask the federal government, here's an option that they have that they have not undertaken. Because we keep fighting about where it should go. Why don't we do the research to both safely store it where it is and clean it up where it is and potentially reuse it? And given that this is a state that knows about innovation with two labs, we'd be happy to dedicate our labs to work that would make a difference around the country. It is a national issue to be responsible for. In my view, this is the best way for New Mexicans to work through this problem for the country without just being told that we have to take on something that I don't believe has the right safety standards or aspects or transparency by a company that uh, we ought to be told we have to deal with. So we're gonna fight it. And um, my intention of course is to win, but I want New Mexicans to know it's a heavy lift because they created a system that doesn't allow me to directly say no. So we have to find other legal avenues to do that. Mm-hmm. So similarly, yeah. you're kind
0: of reminding me, the Defense Department in the state are at odds over the cleanup of PFAS contaminated groundwater at places like Cannon, um, and Cannon Holloman, Air Force both. Base. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I feel like there are a lot of conversations around the country about states' rights that kind of drift into other, social issues oftentimes and yet I feel like with Holtec, with the Defense Department, um, you know here we as a state are trying to say you have to clean this up or you can't bring this waste here. What sorts of tools do we have, for instance, with, with the PFAS cleanup?
1: Well one that I think is quite fascinating. Um, that uh, you are probably aware of but I don't know about our viewers so we have uh, the military who shouldn't surprise us and I I don't mean to disrespect uh, that we need these military bases Uh, we do we want them here uh, but We've had some issues where, including the jet fuel spill right here at Kirtland, and we don't have the kind of robust, I mean, you think about it, it's congressional efforts, it's uh, uh, investments from Congress that get to the bases and the right military branch to do cleanup. Then it's having the states take a significant role, and it's constant, right, to get them to be accountable. The same is going to be true for this forever chemical that is a result of firefighting foam that they were using. But here's an interesting vehicle that only New Mexico is using. And that's where we sort of separate the roles of the federal government. So we have the Federal Environmental Protection Agency. They agree with us that the PFAS forever chemical, a carcinogen, a toxin, an environmental pollutant, hugely problematic needs to be not just attenuated but cleaned up and addressed and now we need to set new requirements Mm -hmm. right so that nothing is safe right we know that and they've done that zero is safe in any of our uh, water well they're suing their own federal partners that's a very interesting dynamic that i think could prove to be very effective (laughs) for states like new mexico to have another tool in that toolbox and then the reality is is that a state like ours has to find more resources because while we fight these battles where you might get money on the back end we need to be cleaning it up on the front end and that's clearer now more than ever states need the kind of leadership and ability to do more of this work themselves and then the federal government will come in the back end because while we wait We have pollutants that are migrating in places we do not want them. Last good thing, they're not going to let them use these chemicals anymore. And so, frankly, New Mexico, for the rest of the United States, is setting into standards that are going to protect other Americans because of our effective leadership. And I'm really proud of that. Um, But it still takes far too long and it shouldn't, and we need the, and I'm hoping that this uh, new federal law, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and this administration is really gonna kind of jumpstart how they actually put resources and tools on the ground to help states, frankly, clean up what we often refer to as Superfund sites. They're slow, and we can't tolerate that as a state anymore, and we won't.
0: Yeah, the the PFAS issue kind of in many ways reminds me of you know, communities that 70 years after the Manhattan Project or decades after the Cold War is over are still dealing with sites, uranium mining sites that haven't been cleaned up. So when I think about the future of Clovis or Portales or some of these places, like, are they in 70, 80 years still gonna be grappling with this pollutant?
1: It could, which is uh, something I have zero tolerance for. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, you know, I talked to Secretary Wilson and said, look, you got to take responsibility. I didn't win that then, but I won it with the Biden administration. And uh, being really aggressive, being assertive about protecting uh, our water, air and soil does make the difference. And we're not going to let them do that. And the way that I know for sure is because not only do I have another partner that's identified all those liability issues. But given the kind of resources that we have available, we can do upfront investing. And then our job, and it also motivates other policymakers over the long haul to make sure that the federal government replenishes what we spend. See, that's critical because once, if you just keep fighting it, then you end up in the same strategy that you just identified. The Tularosan Basin is still waiting for both what I would call reparations to individuals who have been harmed and their families. You get chromosome damage that lasts generation after generation, frankly forever, if you've been exposed uh, to uh, these radioactive materials and they had direct exposure over and over and over again from testing before the Manhattan Project Mm -hmm. or as part of the Manhattan Project. So maybe a better way to describe that. So, yes, lean in, do the work up front, have the partners that identify the liability on the front end because that's that proving part that has created these 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years because generally speaking, federal government really isn't liable. We've set a new pattern. They are really liable and we're going to hold them to it. And New Mexico's leading in that front.
0: So switching gears a little bit, four years ago in 2018, scientists said we had about a decade to get to net zero emissions to avert catastrophic impacts from climate change. Um, We're already seeing catastrophic impacts. Your administration has taken strides on reducing greenhouse gas emissions from the oil and gas industry in particular. Is that enough?
1: Uh, It is at a very important start, but no, we have to do everything. And I think that's been part of the dilemma, is that we've spent so much time trying to figure out, you know, one thing. We are in a crisis. Climate change is real. We really have passed. I mean, scientists that threshold were telling everyday Americans and reporting to Congress in the 60s that we were in trouble just in the context of using gasoline and the number of cars on the road in the 60s. This is how we ended up with you know, smog reduction, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they made a huge difference, but we focused on one thing in one way in a couple of states in particular that had large population centers mm-hmm. and a lot of driving like California and Los Angeles. We didn't think about this as a national and international agenda. So I do think we are now clear that it is an international agenda, uh, and that the entire globe is gonna have to do this on every single front. So the methane rules and the no flaring requirements, even uh, making sure that we're recycling water, uh, that uh, we want renewable energy, not diesel engines, powering right uh, our, our wells and all of the work going on at each uh, drill site, uh, closing up abandoned wells, all of these and more are critical for making sure that we're reducing and minimizing uh, all of our emissions in oil and gas. Now we gotta figure out transportation, agriculture, uh, we've gotta have lots of conversations and significant policies on consumption. Americans are some of the, high, I think we are, the highest consumers of energy uh, per person in the world and in the industrialized nation, that's not sustainable. I think the innovation here can be very productive for a state like New Mexico. So, you know, we're meeting our targets for renewable energy. We have the largest wind uh, farm in North America. We are the cheapest place for solar. We've got more than 12,000 jobs in solar. We added more jobs in solar last year than any other state. I mean, we're doing all the things that create those transitions. We need to do more and i'm very excited actually again about the inflation reduction act because we're 370 billion 20 billion when you add the extra five that our uh, u.s senators got uh in the uh, legislation over the finish line for water we're going to need all of it and thinking about how to get carbon out of the atmosphere uh, thinking about other cleaner ways to have access to energy to maybe doubling our efforts and knowing that we can meet those targets. I want New Mexico to be net zero by 2050. I have to have a lot of strategies in play to do that. It can't just be where right by 2045 utilities, uh, 2050 rural co-ops. I think we might beat that 2050 actually by all of our partners, uh, but we're gonna have to do a lot more. And so you should expect us to have, again, we've had very robust you know, investments in environmental policies and incentives, including clean car standards and a climate force task force, climate change task force, uh, making sure that that we're meeting and joining the U.S. Climate Alliance, that we're going to meet the Paris Accords. And as you know, New Mexico has been identified as a leading subnational, which just means you may not be the president of the United States, but as a state in and of yourself, you're leading the world in policies that can really make a difference. We're going to need more trees and more health. Healthy, right, good soil to help us draw carbon out of the atmosphere. All of the above.
0: So one of the priorities that you identified this year was hydrogen development. So how does that square with emissions reductions?
1: Uh, it has a huge impact and it's an area where, you know, folks uh, have concerns. And I really value that input. And we got a lot of good input during the legislative session. What we want is the right transitions, but they're transitions. You don't wanna go from one that may have some issues to another, and hydrogen is such a large body of effort some hydrogen producing uh, efforts, which uh, take natural gas as an example, and use that in a way that we're not using gasoline. So we've moved up in terms of making sure that we have fewer emissions. And certainly if we could do that for air travel, we've got a company that says they can, and you know we're watching that innovation. I think there are folks on both sides of that research that are giving us good information, Hard to say today that it's going to transform uh, the, that we're never going to have to use jet fuel again. That'd be great if we could say that, but we ought to be looking and leaning. I need hydrogen in New Mexico to look like this. That when a bridge washes out, right, I could just drive hundred miles every time, or I could oh, out of the way, or I could build a new bridge. So we're building new bridges. This is a bridge to get to the other side, but eventually I got to figure out why I still have all that flooding. And I got to mitigate in much more dramatic ways. We want it to be the lowest carbon intensity. We want real innovation. I want to lead so that water use becomes a significant issue that you want to do that here, show us that you do that here in other ways. And I think being a leader in those innovations creates yet other transitions yet to be identified. What I don't think we want here or anywhere in these transitions is to go from one fossil fuel environment holistically to another without recognizing we're improving, improving, improving while we have enough renewable energy so that we don't need transitions anymore. And the quicker we do both, the safer we are, and the more we've done to save the planet. And my expectation is is that every single policy does exactly that, which is why I'm leading the hydrogen hub, because I don't want another state or the federal government to tell us that we should minimize our transitions, that we should accept whatever we know today. I don't want that here. I think New Mexicans should feel like they've got leadership in a place to make it the very best it can be And the money that gets spent here by the feds is to showcase that that transition can be shorter and it can be greener. That's what we want. And I want that to happen in all the states around us because these borders really are invisible lines when we're talking about climate change. So that's really important to me as a leader in a state that deserves the best environmental protections anywhere in the country or in the world.
0: So in addition to uh, contributing to climate change and causing environmental and public health impacts, the oil and gas industry does also boost the economy. And I'm curious with this big budget surplus we have, what money can sustainably be put into Um, reducing emissions, cleaning up that industry, um, and really making sure that communities are able to deal with an increasingly challenging future.
1: No, It's a really important topic because we have a tendency to really ask for accountability and innovation money in state government in the environment department and the other department that's involved in uh, oil and gas oversight is the energy minerals and natural resources department. And uh, given both record revenues and that we need to have not just these balances, there's no balances when we're talking about environmental protections, right? We can have enough energy to meet our needs and export. And we don't have to sacrifice all of our environmental protections, particularly at the site or the source, where typically we have um, um, rural communities who without our support aren't gonna get attention to those public health issues. And they deserve it and require it both. So here, in the same way we did early childhood, set up funds that don't have to be relitigated every year that allow us to make real-time investments into these communities in particular. You know, we did that with the Energy Transition Act. right? we said, as we do this transition, and we uh, move from coal-fired uh, plants. We're going to have job issues and economic issues. There are impacts. And to say that there aren't means that we're not dealing with, right, lifting up in its entirety these communities. So we put $40 million, $20 million directly to workers, $20 million that goes to the community to think about their economic futures so you can clean up. You can do more air quality monitoring. We can make sure that our methane monitoring innovation is the best in the world. We can put those jobs there. You know, we want to be the first state in the nation to have, uh, you get alerts on your cell phone when there's a, and we're, we're in process so that you'll know where a methane leak is. And you'll also know how long it took us to get it fixed and who's responsible so that you have that kind of transparency. You want to empower a local community, tell them what's happening in their backyard. That's real empowerment. Uh, And we have folks who are willing to help us with that. I mean, I, I do, it'll sound like it doesn't go together, but in fact, a lot of that innovation is happening in this industry itself. Uh, and while I want, you know, the objective review, I need that innovation. And it's powerful in this space. Big funds lasts more than one fiscal cycle, and it really identifies that we're paying attention particularly to these communities and we're cleaning up while we're in these transitions. And I'm really excited about that. And all of our economic sectors, Laura, are overperforming, and they're gonna need to because when more than 50% of your revenue is coming from one energy sector, you have to think about very meaningful ways, in addition to the renewable energy sector, but other economic sectors that get you there. Uh, And we are, and we're showcasing that that can be done. It's not an overnight enterprise, but it's the right set of investments that really do finally resolve. You have to diversify your economy. Mm -hmm. That makes us greener and cleaner and safer. And while you do that, you need to put funds together that will last, right, legacy funds that deal with legacy pollution, that are really clear about protecting New Mexicans now and well into the future.
0: So I wanted to pivot to water planning. Your administration's first state engineer, John D'Antonio, he resigned, citing a lack of financial support. And I'm curious if that's changed and three years into your, four years almost into your administration, What advances, what progress have you made on water policy in the state?
1: Um, I think we've made uh, considerable um, advancements, but to your point, uh, the state engineer's office has been woefully understaffed and underfunded um, for well more than a decade um, before 2019 when I took office as governor. And primarily, I think not because policymakers, both parties don't care about water, But there's an interesting set of circumstances that cause New Mexico policymakers not to think about it, in my view, in the right way. One, water in every arid state is a lot about fighting over water, right, and water jurisdiction and water ownership. And so basically the state engineer's office has been transformed into a large litigation office, and we need it because other states sue us, like Texas, for water. And so we are constantly involved in water litigation. We have plenty of internal water litigation. And if you look at all just the water settlements in communities, primarily those that are impacted by sovereign water rights. And we have settled a record number of these uh, sovereign rights water cases so that we are assuring water delivery we're protecting sovereign water rights and we're putting frankly and we need to hundreds of millions of dollars into assuring safe reliable water uh, in a variety of places so we're getting to the Laguna water settlement that just got sent to the feds you know the Amet water settlement is about done in terms of the money that it needed but with the big first chunk Early in my administration, 2019, 100 million water settlements going all the way up the Rio Grande Corridor, those are recurring with those uh, sovereign nations. Uh, So when you're thinking about whether or not a little community like Cuyamungay is gonna have access to water, these are critical aspects that have to get done, and they require hundreds of people working on them, and we don't have hundreds of people, and they are literally in court or doing hearings every single day. So that has mired policy making and sort of what I would call leaning forward in the state engineer's office. And it's a fair criticism by those about what's happened. So we've asked the legislature, we got some real investments last year, we need to transcend from that environment into a whole new policy arm. Most of the policy work in just one year has been at trying to figure out why we run out of water, so take CHAMA as an example, and there's no mystery here. We didn't invest for 50 years in water infrastructure and it is all broken. And when it's broken and water doesn't reach its end users, guess what people do? They put illegal taps into a water system Uh, and uh, not certainly, you know, mad at that individual because I understand it. you need water. But that cannot be the system, including illegal septic. I don't even know if you can call it a system tank. Well, that has eroded water viability in every single community. We ran out of water in Cuba. We ran out of water in Chama. Today is the first full day that we didn't actually have a generator burnout in filtering water in Las Vegas. We're fixing dams. Every DNF dam in New Mexico, dry and wet, that's every dam. So the policy actually first is we need to fix failing infrastructure because you can decide any number of water conservation and water innovation, water capturing, motivating factors that actually get people to use less. But if they never could get it in the first place or it's so unreliable, we aren't gonna move New Mexicans into that arena. So this whole next year is finishing all of that water infrastructure. So the federal money's well over so far a hundred million and well more than that is coming. The state legislature's put in 30 plus, so tens of millions of dollars. That's now out the door. We'll finish up the settlements. And uh, the only work now that we were able to get that done is we have to figure out ways to conserve the water that we have, to be really clear about how much water we aren't gonna have. We have to make the federal government do what they need to do with the Colorado River. I think they are now. And having money creates a different set of opportunities for states who were just gonna fight. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, having resources does give you an opportunity to be innovative. Uh, New Mexicans should expect that a lot more is coming out of the state engineer's office. But to be fair to the former state engineer, I don't think he was wrong one iota about a set of conditions we all inherited there and it's really time to transcend that.
0: So the governor has a lot of power in terms of setting the agenda for the legislature and I'm curious if you're re-elected you know where does climate change and water planning fit on your agenda in terms of nudging the state
1: legislature next I, year? If we don't have water there isn't anything we can do. Uh, we have to wherever the funding gaps are again as I talked about the fires the state has an opportunity. I mean, these are once-in-a-lifetime sets of opportunities. We need to take them. Uh, the Water Conservation Fund uh, and the Interstate Stream Commission are examples of forward thinking in former Democratic administrations. So that you can't wait a year when you need water infrastructure money. right? When people need water, they need it. So that was really back then a very creative way to create a fund and to put water out. But it's small and the way in which they replenish that fund is also too small to deal with our rapidly changing environment and our much hotter, drier environment. That is not gonna stop. And I hear New Mexicans all the time now say, you know, these are record rainfalls. It's been a productive monsoon season. But if you think this season is the biggest monsoon season ever, not true. And if you think that this was enough to eradicate decades of aridification here, also not enough. And it's not just happening here, it's happening everywhere. And the West is particularly impacted, which means where we get other water isn't coming to us. We have to put Sizable resources into funds that allow us to, in real time, invest strategies that are developed by state and by tech and by the labs and by our own state engineer and deploy them in real time. Legislature should set those parameters in a fund and then give us the fund and make sure that we're allocating all the time. But I also want this session to be about healthcare delivery and behavioral health and education and public safety. And we have made, we've planted the seeds and our garden is growing, but none of that is mature. And to stop doing those investments today would be a disaster for a state that still needs so much in those areas. So I have bold and big plans for this upcoming legislative session where I think by the time we're in session, if I'm lucky enough to be in that position again, We'll have $4 billion to save, to invest, and to utilize in meaningful ways to solve whole problems, not to sort of nibble around the edges. It's an incredible, exciting time for New Mexico. It is. So
0: I'm curious, you know, climate change touches on all of our lives and makes existing challenges harder, even behavioral health care. Or- any kind of challenge that we face in New Mexico is exacerbated by climate change yet it isn't something that climbs to the top of many people's priorities or even political conversations and I'm curious if you think that is going to change in our lifetime
1: I have to believe it's going to change in our lifetime because there's not an option mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that what we don't say out loud so I'm going to say it out loud we're already surpassing uh, the time frame for minimizing or eliminating what many scientists would identify as cataclysmic, catastrophic problems. These wildfires are an indication. These hurricanes and flooding, these are all significant issues that aren't going to stop, they're just going to get worse. Rising sea levels and frankly all of the the melting of our glaciers are significant issues and even the permafrost aspects are significant public health issues that I think people aren't paying attention to in terms of we're now exposed to things that have been locked in a frozen tundra that, like COVID, can pose incredibly significant infectious disease and disease public health issues that are going to require real attention. That's past. Now we have to have sufficient resources to protect people around the globe to deal with famine, having the ability to have enough water and to grow enough food, to really think about how we shift our agricultural practices. Same in New Mexico. We've got several million, tens of millions out in grants to think about how we do ag differently and how we grow more food and make it more readily available to New Mexicans. All of that has to shift right now. I think that uh, I think the fact that we have three hundred and seventy billion dollars in a brand new piece of federal legislation is testament to the fact that the conversation hasn't just shifted. The investments that cause us to do things differently, so that my grandchild has the opportunity to be outside and to live where she chooses in a world that's fast approaching, right? That jumping off a cliff situation, I'm feeling much more confident. And I don't want to minimize how tough it's going to be all around the world. But it's why New Mexico needs to, to keep leading. And I have every intention of doing that in every possible way. Well, thank you, Governor, for joining me. I appreciate it. It's been lovely, Laura. Thank you very much. And thank you for caring about our planet.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Laura Paskus. Find more environmental content on New Mexico in Focus as part of our show, Our Land, New Mexico's Environmental Past, Present, and Future. You can find Our Land all over the place on the PBS video app, Instagram, YouTube, and you can subscribe to Our Land Weekly. Thanks for listening.